Welcome to Bayou Business Download, a podcast from the Greater Houston Partnership where we dive into the data and analytics influencing the region's economy. Today is Thursday, June 17th. I'm your host, AJ Mistretta, and I'm joined today by Patrick Jankowski, Senior Vice President of Research at the Partnership. In this episode, we're going to talk about a recent survey the Partnership conducted that sheds light on how Houston area companies are approaching workplace issues. As the pandemic wanes, how quickly are businesses returning workers to the office? Is remote work here to stay? And what steps are companies taking to encourage employees to get vaccinated against COVID-19? We'll also talk about surging oil prices and why it's not as positive a sign for our economy as it's been in the past. Patrick, thanks for joining me today. AJ, it's always good to be on this podcast with you. So thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Patrick, earlier this month, we put a survey out to our members. We had 141 responses from companies, which gives us a pretty good picture, I think, of how organizations are looking at the issues impacting their operations. What did we learn first about when companies are returning folks to the workplace? Well, Jay, I want to let you know, I think it was an excellent survey because we had, it was so well representative of the community. We had responses from 15 different sectors. Well, about a third of the responses came from companies that had 500 or more employees. A third of the responses came from companies with 50 to 500 employees and a third come from companies with 50 or fewer employees. So it was really representative. So, so give you some idea about, we're, we're talking about the reopening. If you look at that, roughly 50% of the companies out there have uh, never closed. They've already resumed their operations. Hmm. And based on the responses, uh, about 16%, another 16% plan to open by the end of June. So we're looking at by the end of June, 1st of July, that two thirds of all the companies will, will, will be fully reopened. Now, fully reopened is defined somewhat differently. I mean, do, do you want me to go into that yet or do you want to ask me another question? <laughs> well, let's talk about fully reopening and how, uh, and how they actually are, are defining it. Are they talking about people actually being in the office five days a week or, or something else? Now, AJ, you know, back in the old days, pre-COVID days, yeah. uh, it was pretty standard. People worked Monday through Friday, eight to five or eight to six or, or nine to seven or whatever. Uh, there's no such thing as a standard work week anymore. Uh, we asked, we gave uh, uh, six different options try to find out what, what's the common practice. There doesn't appear to be any common practice. Mm. Some companies that said they, are, they expect employees in the office five days a week, that was like roughly 30% expect them in the office five days a week. But you had uh, 17% of the respondents said that completely flexible employees can show up when they need to show up. You could even, if you want, to, if you want a, a really hard breakdown, you could say roughly 44% expect the employees to be in the office four days a week or more. And 56% expect them to be in the office three days or less. So, uh, you know, there could be zero days, one day, two days, three days. My point is there has not emerged a standard practice like we had prior to COVID. Not a standard practice, but I think what this does suggest, Patrick, is that employers are more open-minded to different approaches to the workplace than they have been before. The pandemic really shook things up, right? Oh, gosh, I think one thing this has showed us, uh, the pandemic, is that the way to survive is you have to be adaptable and flexible. Yeah. And moving forward, I think 
most employers are going to be flexible and adaptable. Now, we also broke this down and we looked at it by, by industry. We looked at it by the energy sector. We looked at it by finance, insurance, and real estate. We looked at it, the nonprofits, professional services, and, and even areas like finance and insurance, which you expect to be fairly conservative. They're pretty much 50-50 as far as uh, whether they want people in the office four or five days a week or three days or less. Uh, professional services, they tend to be maybe a bit more understanding because a lot of it can be, can be done without having to be in the office, uh, only about uh, 30% of the respondents in professional services expect their employees in the office four or five days a week. Uh, the majority, so 70%, uh, expect their employees in the office three days or less. Interesting. Patrick, you know, as we talked about before, before the availability of COVID-19 vaccinations have been the most critical factor in our ability to restart large segments of the economy and really kind of return to a sense of normalcy. How are Houston area employers encouraging workers to get vaccinated? Okay, well, let me step back. One thing we asked uh, what their approach is to vaccination. And uh, of the respondents, only 8% said that they are requiring a vaccine before mm. someone can return to work. Uh, it's, it, obviously, it's, it's going to be the healthcare sector. But the, the vast majority, uh, over 80, close to 90%, encourage vaccines, but they're not mandated. But the way they're encouraging them is... They, they'll offer time off, they'll offer a monetary incentive, they'll offer a gift card, they'll offer something tangible. But of those that are offering incentive, about half of the employers in our respondent in our survey said they're offering an incentive, the other half aren't. Mm. Okay. So they want folks to get it, they are encouraging it, but they're not necessarily incentivizing it monetarily or through time off or other means, correct? Well, no, it's about half and half. Some of yeah. them just, uh, if, if you, if you, get the vaccine, you have additional freedom at work. I mean, you don't have to wear your mask. You can move around. You don't have to practice social distancing. Once again, uh, they're encouraged, uh, but there's not a, a real standard practice other than the fact that they encourage them to get the vaccine. Got it. And so I want to touch on that for a second, a little bit more, you know, with the, the relative ease of being able to obtain a vaccine now, are companies still engaging in some of those practices you mentioned, like mandating masks, mandating social distancing, et cetera? What did we find out about that? If I had an electronic chalkboard and I could draw some numbers out there, it'd be a lot easier for listeners <laughs> to see some of these percentages. So I asked, I asked them just to bear with me and I'll try to make it simple. Uh, we asked the question, it was real basic. How is your company handling employee mask wearing in your indoor spaces? Uh, roughly 21% require all employees to wear masks. Uh, roughly 55% said only the non-vaccinated employees have to wear masks. And then you have roughly 24% that say, uh, regardless of status, you don't have to wear a mask. Mm. That's one of the procedures. The other is, so they're also looking at uh, social distancing for those who, uh, who are, are not vaccinated uh, is, is one of the things that the employers are asking for. But they're also going through other things. They're, they're doing deep cleaning. They're eliminating elevator capacity. They're providing additional uh, equipment and supplies. So uh, it, it's kind of the gamut of, of what they're trying to do. Hopefully hitting enough of these uh, buttons will help protect the employees. That makes sense. And so I think that some of these things perhaps may be around uh, for a bit, for a few more months uh, as people, as companies work to regain some sense of, of safety. Now, this, this wasn't part of our survey, but I have seen other surveys that said that is one of the reasons people are reluctant to return to work is because they are concerned about the COVID, vaccine, COVID virus still being out there. It's one of many, but that's one reason why employers are trying so hard to make sure that the employee is protected at work. Got it. As we're talking about our workforce, I'm curious, 
of course, what the latest figures tell us about the region's jobs recovery. Oh, AJ, things are, are so much better than they were this time last year. I mean, this time last year, we, we had looked at have, having lost over 360,000 jobs. We did not know how much worse it was going to get. I'm happy to say we've had pretty consistent job growth, except for one or two months since May of last year. Mm. This year has started off real well. We had really strong growth in February, March, and April. And I'm happy to say, as of the data we have for April, we are past the halfway point in recovering the jobs that we lost. Uh, we've recouped uh, just about 183,000 jobs of what we lost. So we have about 173,000 left to recoup. Got it. Patrick, you know, when we, you and I talked toward the end of last year and you were putting together your jobs forecast for 2021, we talked about where the line might be, uh, whether or not new vaccines that were being rolled out would be effectively rolled out, if you will, uh, in the first few months, and therefore our, our recovery would begin more effectively during the first half of the year, or whether it might be delayed and we would see a recovery that would only hit toward the end of the year. Are you optimistic about how that rollout has gone and therefore how our jobs picture and our recovery have gone. Gosh, AJ, I wish I had a time machine. For those of you Doctor Who fans out there, I wish I had a Taurus. I'd go back <laughs> and, and redo my forecast because you know, looking at the way the economy looked at the end of November, beginning of December, we were expecting a huge spike in cases and that spike in cases to last uh, into January, February, March. Uh, but it turned out the vaccine was rolled out like the day that I put my forecast to bed. Uh, it seems like it is, the rollout has been very successful. Now, I thought the tipping point for this economy would be sometime in the summer, and that's when we really start to see growth. But the tipping point looks like it was in March. Hmm. The tipping point was moved up by about three months, which means that uh, 2021 is going to be a much better year than I originally forecast. Uh, I, I thought that uh, at the high end, we might have 65,000 jobs. I think at the high end, we may get 80 or 90,000 jobs this year, maybe 100,000 jobs. But we're still short going to fall short of where we need to be to get back to February of 2020 prior to the pandemic. Oh, that makes sense. Patrick, let's switch gears if we can to talk about oil. Obviously, it's still a huge part of our economy, though its influence isn't what it used to be. We talk about that a lot. Where are oil prices today and how does that compare to, say, just before the pandemic? AJ, just before I started this podcast with you today, I went online and checked and, and crude price, crude, West Texas Intermediate was trading at $71 a barrel on the, on the, new, the NYMEX. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a phenomenal price. Uh, and previous days, previous years, we'd be dancing in the streets when we had $71 oil. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Uh, what we're seeing is a lot of factors coming into play where $71 oil isn't driving drilling and isn't driving exploration. Uh, for, for one, it, it takes a lot of money to drill an oil well. Uh, uh, it takes a big bucket of money. Uh, I've heard people say to drill a typical shale well, it might take to 8 to $10 million. Well, the oil companies or the drillers out there would borrow that money from Wall Street, and then they would uh, drill the well with the return to Wall Street that they're going to get a, a return on their investment. Well, they kept on borrowing and borrowing and borrowing and growing production, but without ever returning any money back to the investors or returning very little. So Wall Street finally said no more. We're not going to lend mm. you any more money until we start to see a better return on it. So although oil prices are up, the capital markets are closed to the oil and gas industry. So we're not seeing that growth in, in, in production. We're looking at uh, production has recovered somewhat in the U.S. from where it was 
this time last year, but we're still about 1.8 million barrels a day below where we were prior to the pandemic. And so essentially what you're saying is we're, you know, we're not going to get that happy dance this time around. The industry is not going to reverse course as quickly based on elevated oil prices. So what we're looking at is, is not just the fact that the capital markets are closed to the oil and gas industry. We're also seeing pressure from policymakers, from consumers, and from the, the shareholders themselves that they want the oil and gas companies to diversify and, and not be totally dependent upon uh, hydrocarbons. They're wanting to get into alternative energy fuels or carbon capture use and storage or something like that. And so if additional funds become available, some of those funds, rather than being plowed back into the oil patch, are going to be plowed into alternative energy sources. That makes sense. Patrick, is there anything else you'd like to touch on today? For those of you who have heard me make presentations about the real estate community, I've been coming down pretty hard on the multifamily sector for some time because we were overbuilt. It looks like uh, we may finally be hitting a tipping point with the apartment markets. It looks like we're starting to see some strong absorption out there. It looks like rental rates are going up. So uh, it's, we're shifting from what has been a tenant's market for the longest time to be more of a landlord's market. So that's mm-hmm. one area of commercial real estate that is starting to look uh, better than it has probably in the last four or five years. Housing still looks very strong. Uh, I'm glad I don't own any office buildings in Houston. Uh, that's going to be a very, very poor return on investment. But uh, we're starting to see the recovery from the COVID pandemic uh, impacting other sectors of the economy positively. And, and I'm, I'm so tickled to see that happen. Absolutely. What do you think, though, going back to the multifamily market, I mean, we've talked about the abundant supply coming online. We're not seeing significant big picture job growth that, that, that precedes the pandemic. What, what is driving that absorption that you see is happening in the multifamily market? Now, th- that's a good question. Uh, I, I don't ha- right now, all I'd have to do is speculate. But I think one thing that we're seeing in multifamily is what we're seeing across the board is that people are ready to do something different. Yeah. They're ready to move out of their parents' garage apartment or they move out of the, the living, move out of the bedroom that they uh, lived in since they were a child and move in there. We're also seeing some people, I am starting to see some more out-of-state license plates, which I haven't seen for a while. So it's not any one factor, but I think there's probably some pent-up demand, apartment leasing, which didn't take place during the pandemic, which is taking place now. Patrick, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. Hey, Jay, it's always a pleasure. I hope the, the, the listeners who tune in are finding some information that they can use to make a better informed decision, or at least feel a little bit more comfortable about the decision they've already made. That's what we're here for. And that's it for this episode of Bayou Business Download. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can do so via your favorite podcasting platform or by visiting the podcast page at houston.org. You'll also find links to recent data and news updates. Thanks again for listening to Bayou Business Download.